0: Hello and welcome to the SportsGrad podcast, your bite-sized guide to enter the sports industry.
1: And joining me, as per usual, is the package, Room Williams. How are you, mate? day, Ryan. I'm fantastic. Thank you. I'm still catching my breath after that. That was the most energy I've felt in this room for a long, long time. <laughs> I'm just trying to settle and restore myself. So, uh, yes, doing well, thank you.
0: One of the great audio packages uh, that anyone could ever listen to, uh, and there's more to come so uh so let's get cracking right i'm ryan walker he's Ruben williams we are two mates who met at cricket australia and now we help people find their own dream job through this very podcast and our online community if you want to follow us head over to linkedin or even better if you want to connect with us and hundreds of others working in sport
1: jump into the sports grad community i want to give a quick shout out to one of our beloved members of the sports grad community his name is jordan hilton He's just got a job over in Canberra at the Australian Institute of Sport, of all places, Mm -hmm. pushing out Olympic gold medals as a data analyst, which is an incredible role. Like if you are in sport, the AIS is like where you want to be. It's where you're dealing with the top of the top. So well done to you, Jordan. We are absolutely stoked for you and what you've been able to achieve. It's very inspiring for the other people inside our community. So if you are like Jordan and you want to get your foot in the door of the sports industry, Join the sports grad community. If you're like the Australian Institute of Sport and you want to hire great people quickly and easily, well, we recommend you joining too. To get involved, head to www.sportsgrad.com.au forward slash community.
0: Brilliant, mate. Now, Deacon has been a huge supporter of sports grad since day dot. If you're currently studying or you've just finished studying, having a postgrad qualification in sports management on your resume can give you The biggest leg up you need to get ahead of other candidates applying for that same role. So if you want to pump up that resume, get specialized knowledge in every single part of sport you can even think of, take a look at Deakin's postgrad qualifications. Their Master of Business in Sports Management is not one of, but the best one in Australia, ranked at number one. So add a postgrad to your resume, and that is my tip for the episode.
1: Now, Ryan, our guest today is none other than the Brian Taylor Law local, which we absolutely love, but also one of the best commentators going around in football at the moment. Commentates on Friday night. Commentates the biggest moments in the AFL. There's TikTok clips and Instagram clips going around of some of his greatest moments, which uh, we'll get into later on. Um, but a little bit about a little bit of background on Brian. He is a WA kid, which you would love. From the country, moved over to Victoria to play football at the age of 16. Worked as a plumber whilst he was playing football at Richmond and Collingwood. Won a Coleman medal. Mm. He was the leading goal kicker of the AFL. So he was a genuinely good player back in his day. But then after that, he took on to to calling and and media. Ended up getting into Triple M on the radio where people discovered he's got this incredible talent. Moved into TV and now is one of the the biggest names in uh, media today.
0: Yeah, he's absolutely awesome. What I absolutely loved out of it was just how he comes up with all the weird words he uses. Anyone who's watched the AFL and tuned in will know that Brian's a pretty unique guy. Uh, He's got his own way of doing things and he says some different stuff to the average punter. So... Listening to hear how he actually comes up with those words, I think that's a question everyone's been asking for many years.
1: Mm. What I also love is he gives us a good masterclass on commentating, a bit of a 101 how-to. So if you need tips on what to say or how to improve and how to get better, Brian's constantly improving. He'll Mm. he'll tell you this. He's still searching for the perfect game. But he goes into some of the specifics on how he prepares, how he irons out a few mistakes, how he... um, becomes a better commentator every single week, even after doing this for 30 years. He's got these little tidbits that anyone who's wanting to get better at speaking really in general can learn from.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And finally, just how to get into commentating and how to get into media. He's got a few steps that he he shared that would obviously help people get into the industry. Um, he's a wealth of knowledge and I think what he was saying is just spot on. You know, he's got some seriously good tips for those out there. Uh, so let's get cracking. It's amazing chat. Grab a pen, enjoy this chat with Brian Taylor. Can't believe I'm saying this, but BT, welcome to the SportsGrad podcast. Oh, Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to the questions.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Brian, it's awesome to have you in um, and it's great to get you through the Lawn Footy Club. We've got Jess in the room too, which is terrific as well. And I vividly remember the night that you came down to training last year. The football club wasn't doing too well, so they called on yourself and Mick Turner to run training one night. Mm -hmm. And I went home and told all my friends, this was the most engaging 90 minutes of my entire life. So when do you come back? (laughs) Uh, I don't know, but
2: I I love coaching, always have. And if I I weren't doing what I was doing now, I would be coaching for sure. I, I love the engagement. I love the modern way in which it's done these days. And uh, having watched you guys for quite a few weeks, it wasn't being done (laughs) in a very modern manner. Still doing circle work and triangle work wasn't (laughs) a thing of the 70s. So uh, I think you needed the help.
0: Yeah. BT, uh, Ruben apparently took a a major hang uh, one game this year. And he's Uh been talking about it amongst the office for the past, I don't know, four months. Mm -hmm. I was just wondering if... If you were there, can you confirm was it that good or if you weren't there, that's okay? Look, I wasn't there and there is no photographic evidence of it, so (laughs) uh, did it actually happen?
1: There actually is there. There's a photo of it.
0: (laughs) You know, you don't know what stage the mark is in. Sometimes it can look better than what it is. Well, Jess is here with me, my son.
2: Jess, you play for lawn. Were you playing in this game and did you actually – he's nodding uh, and approving
1: head. So there you go. You did. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. That was the only good moment of my entire footballing career. So I'm well, glad we got that out of the way. Um, BT, I follow you on Instagram and I find it incredibly entertaining. I love all the stuff that you do. Even during lockdown, I think you were commentating cars driving through the Grattan <laughs> Road. Yes. Next minute, you're at the Lawn Food Works giving an analysis of you know your favourite biscuits. It sounds like this media and presentation thing is something you absolutely love. Where did that all begin for you? I think having
2: four boys young that are all switched on to the modern communication methods is probably the thing that has got me into more insta. Insta's probably the only thing I do. Um, uh, just to engage a different demographic of audience. Um, you know, Channel 7 is a very wide demographic, anywhere from very, very young to very, very old. And um, When I worked at Fox, that's a, a much more narrow focus of people. So I think the more people you can reach and engage with and understand, the better. And so that's the reason I do a little bit of Insta. I don't do a lot of replying. I put a lot of stuff on, but I rarely reply because I don't want to engage in the negative part of it. I just like to see the positive part. So, yeah, enjoy doing that. And it's and it's basically my kids and uh, particularly Harrison, uh, who also happens to manage me, um, uh, really push that side of things.
1: And then get going way back to when you were coming out of football, when did um, media become part of what you wanted to do next? Oh, straight
2: away. I was a plumber while I was playing football in my Richmond and Collingwood days. And it was towards the end of my playing day, so I retired very young, at about 28, I think I was. So from about 25 or 26 onwards, I was taking the opportunity to get involved in whatever media I could in those days. You've got to remember that in those particular years, so they were late 80s, mid to late 80s, that coaches and football clubs were very anti-media, didn't want to let them in, Mm. everything was a lockout, Um, don't... You know, if, if you can get out of doing an interview, get out of it. That was the sort of ploy. And I adopted the policy, know that when I was asked, I would engage in everything. So I could prove to people that I was more than a plumber. I could prove to people that I could talk and handle myself and might be able to do this. So I had my eye on those sort of jobs in the media from when I was about 26 years of age, so about two years before I finished. That gave me just enough time to prove, and I feel like I just... Just got the opportunity coming out of football. If I'd left any later, I may not have been uh, having that opportunity.
0: Tell us a little bit about once you finished footy and then you went to Triple M, but those years in between, mm-hmm. those sort of apprenticeship years. What, really what, important. Yeah. yeah.
2: What happened with those? So came out of, or uh, well, still playing football actually, and I did a, a show called The Good, The Bad and The Ugly on 3UZ, which is now nine nine two seven. Um, I did a, um, a very early morning show about 5.30 in the mornings um so did that or happened to be on a on a Saturday morning the mornings I was playing as well which didn't go down with the footy <laughs> club all that well but so got that opportunity proved then that I could do that so then they put me in an evening slot at about 10 30 at night after all the races had finished on on 3z it was a racing station did sport and then we went back to a very very early mornings again and I managed to get this a young guy a guy by the name of Matty Weiss who was Straight out of school, year 12 student, wanted to get into media, um, got him a job as my producer at 3UZ and all of a sudden he took it next level. So because the early morning time slot fitted so well with the US times and basketball games were happening at that time... You know, we we often played – we would ring a Chicago radio station and play live on air without any authority the Chicago Bull Games in which Michael Jordan was playing, all of them. And most of the finals we did live. No one knew. We weren't allowed to. It was a huge copyright issue. Dude, that, that wouldn't go down well these no, days. <laughs> but, but we did it. And, so, and then all of a sudden out of that came interviews with the likes of um, – of uh, uh, Leroy Burrell, the the 100-metre sprinter, you know, Ben Johnson, the guy that got banned uh, for drugs, Um, uh, Flojo, the great uh, American female sprinter, you know, um, George Foreman, Evander Holyfield. The list just went on and on, and he managed to get all of these people on our show, which was this little pissy show (laughs) in Australia that hardly had any audience, and no one even knew that we were in the time slot that we were. So that was my first sort of introduction, and then it morphed out of that after about a year or two of that into an opportunity with a sister station of 3AW being Magic at the time they they had a radio station they were going to call two games a week and I remember smokey dawson who was a famous caller um, preceding all of us was uh, asked me to come across and call two games and that's where i got my start i had been calling a little bit of footy before that on community radio station and i and when you talk about the foundation and the base you know if the one thing i could say to anybody out there wanting to get into calling don't turn up the AFL level and that be your first game. Mm. Get out there. There's plenty of opportunity on Community Radio Station. I did it with a, I think it was called Free INR, and uh, we did um, exclusively Western Bulldog games and Collingwood games with Harry Beitzel on Community Radio Station. For two years we did that, and it was the best base work you could ever get. I also did work with a university radio station in West Australia called uh, Curtin University. And um, guys, they, they would broadcast the Eagles games every second yeah. week. This was before Fremantle even came into the competition. And uh, I was doing special comments, and one day the guy I called with from Perth said, do you want to have a go at calling? And just during the middle of a game, bang, away I went. And that's how it started. But I did that coupled with being a founding member of Triple M for 15 years before I even before anyone even knew I was calling football, really. When I say anyone knew, the people that mattered in, in appointing people in these positions knew. It took me at least 10 or 15 years to, to get it. And the reason I say don't turn up and have your first game on air as a commentator be an AFL game is because if you do that, you will sound like someone that's already calling the game because that's all you've heard, that's all you know. You must come with your own... Um, your own wording process, your own unique way of calling things. You know, you're, you know, Kicking the footy happens you know, 800 times in a game. How do you call that and make it sound differently? Footy vocab, I think, in football calling is the most important thing, and the bigger vocab you've got, the better you are. It only comes from a mountain of work prior to get to that point. Uh, nothing annoys a commentator more than hearing themselves in someone else. And uh, and it happens a lot simply because people, particularly now, where you guys are really impatient. You really got to be the boss before <laughs> you even start. And my advice to you guys and anyone out there listening that wants to be a commentator is have a base foundation first. Otherwise, you are going to sound like Rex Hunt, or you are <laughs> going to sound like James Brayshaw. Uh, sound like yourself. That's really important.
1: Before you got to Triple M, how long was that period of time? Because I think a lot of people would consider getting to Triple M, like, all mm. right, you've, you're up in the, mm. the in the lights now. How long was the, the grassroots period? I think Triple M started in 95 or 96. Mm. I
2: retired in 90, so it was about a four- to five-year process to get an opportunity with a genuine commercial station. Wow. And remember, Triple M were – not a footy station, no FM station had ever covered football and it was very un-FM to cover sport. It was all about music. That's why FM um, opened initially. And so to be the first radio station, I think a guy by the name of Steve Perry, who's a mate of mine, was working at Triple M at the time and he'd been pushing for years for football to be called on Triple M and he just got pushback after pushback after pushback because no one thought the risk was worth taking. So you got to remember, Triple M for the first 10 years was a minnow. Mm. They, they didn't make, didn't get much traction at all. So uh, in that time, and I was calling with uh, the three of us were Eddie Maguire, Steve Quartermain and myself, and we would rotate. We'd do, I think, two games every weekend, and we would rotate between the three of us. So, yeah, that was a five-year process to get to Triple M and then a, a 10-year process at Triple M to really carve out an audience and make a difference to the way that football was called, um,
1: yeah. Were there any games that you went and commentated where you thought to yourself, what am I doing here? There's no one in the ground. I've come from playing the MCG in front of thousands and thousands of people and now I'm here just commentating a local game but I need to do this to get to where I'm going. Did you yeah. have any of those sort of moments?
2: No, because I knew I was there for a reason and I, knew, and I look at every game as a building block um because i still haven't nailed a game i still haven't done the game the way i absolutely 100% want to so even now i'll go to the game you know friday night um hoping i you know don't make a mistake but i haven't yet haven't got through one game without making a mistake that's how that's how hard it is and that's how um how the pressure is on to continue to build as a a commentator to continue to try and reach the heights of McAvaney or Sandy Roberts or these sort of guys that have gone before us, it's a really, really difficult thing to do to get to to get to that area.
0: And what position do you think stands out as the big break? Was it when you you know moved? I don't know when you moved on Triple M. But... I can
2: remember a particular instant that I thought was my big break. I was calling on Triple M, and. I remember it because the boss said to me on Monday, I think this is the best thing you've ever done on radio. And it gave me a huge lift in confidence. And it was something like a guy was running in a very awkward fashion that had an injury, and I said he's he's, he, he's running like a broken axle on a trailer, I think it was, or something of that nature, or something about a broken axle on a trailer. And he thought that was incredibly creative I didn't think anything of it until he mentioned it to me on the Monday and went through the tapes uh, with the game that I'd done. And that gave me the confidence to then explore more and be more than just the commentator that says, and he gets the ball over to the half-forward flank, kicks it forward, and what a great goal that was. Yeah. You know, it, it then said, well, we can do a little bit of showbiz here. We can describe football in, in other ways other than just football ways. And uh, that taught me to take a risk. Yeah. And it's almost an out-of-body experience because that is not who I am as a person. I am not a guy that gets home and roars <laughs> and says stupid things. Says boo na 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 Yeah, nah, nah. and loses complete control of my emotion. That is not me as a person. That is me having this out-of-body experience and letting it all hang out without fear of embarrassment is yeah. the hard thing. Because when you're in a commentary box and you go berserk, you are thinking, what are my teammates sitting next to me thinking about this? They thinking I'm a dickhead, or what? <laughs> and and that's the thing you've got. And and what are the people listening Do They think I'm an idiot, you know. So it's getting over that sense of embarrassment, possible mm. embarrassment, when in actual fact, I think the people at home, what I've learned is that they're, they're enjoying, they're enjoying you you becoming emotionally linked to the game. So, yeah, it's. It's a hard thing to describe, but it's definitely, I would say to any young person calling football, get the basics right first and then to start to explore your emotions and start to explore the showbiz in football. Mm. How far can you go before it's too far and you lose contact with the game and people don't like it, you know, so… It's um it's an unusual experience. It yeah. doesn't happen for every second of every game. It happens for moments in games. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It sounds like um and I'm I think Ruben will ask about, you know, the art of commentary, but it sounds like confidence is one of the biggest things. Like as you just said, that one confidence hit allowed yeah. you to explore that. If you hadn't I, have got that, you Yeah. Who knows, you know? Yeah,
2: confidence is that confidence is everything. And you know the commentators that I call with, they know when I I'm not happy with myself. And they will put a hand on your back, and or they will, the next passage that you get and you do well, they will give you encouragement by slapping on the back. McAvaney was an expert at it. He could sense the moment when I'd lost my confidence and I was down. And it happens every game. And you just got to keep saying to yourself, go back to the basics, forget about all the other stuff. Let's just mm. go back to the basics for the next 10 minutes. Call a perfect 10 minutes, and then you can start to explore again. And so McEvaney and Brayshaw and these guys—they know when I'm down and when I'm lacking in confidence, and they're and they're encouraging voice or hand on the back, or or, or words um, to to try and get you up. And believe me, it it's you know you don't lose your confidence um, for weeks. You lose your com- confidence for seconds, and it's about getting back on. You can't you can't ruin that game because you're yeah. low in confidence. You've got to say, well, I've ruined that minute, but the next minute is going to be my best because I'm going to get back to basics yeah.
1: and do it right. I think that's really interesting because it, you know, on TV you look like this guy who's been around for 30 years, knows exactly what he's doing, but even has those moments where you need a bit of a, a pick-up, which I think a lot of people can relate to, and I think that's really comforting for a lot of people trying to come through to, to, th- to know that even if you're the best in the industry, there's still moments where you, you need to rely on your team.
2: Oh, absolutely there is. Absolutely there is. And and, and and also rely on your team, not just for the confidence thing, but if you're in a moment that you are setting up as being lighthearted, you need the confidence to know that the person that you're directing at, let's say it's Richo in this circumstance, that he's going to come back with the same humour or has he not been listening or has he been talking to the producer and not heard and that's unbeknownst to me. So you need that humour to connect so that someone off the back of it thinks it's also funny as well. So there's there's confidence in all different ways. But I would say I'm not a, I'm not a confident caller of football. I'm, I go to the footy hoping I do well, and most of the times I do, but there is at least – I would suspect on average there is at least a moment in every game where I am low on confidence – because I have stuffed mm. something up that I should not have stuffed up. Um, that happens all the time and you, and you get very down on yourself. And I can, I can remember saying to myself every time this happens, Brian, just call the footy. Just get this next passage yeah. right and don't try and do anything out of, your, out of your lane. Stay in your lane and get this next passage right. That is all that matters that you, you, you get back up and
1: running quickly. Sounds like one of my old footy coaches who used, just used to say, "Boys, just just play footy." Yeah. Didn't have any real concrete advice. <laughs> yeah, it's just sort of like
2: that. <laughs> it is. It is very much like that. Just get get back and do it again. Because uh, the good thing about commentary is that thirty seconds after you've stuffed up, you have a chance to correct it yeah. by being really good. Yeah.
1: Let, let's talk about some of the the brass tacks of, of commentary for a sec. I, I recall you saying that you remember the night when Kevin Sheedy taught the backward spinning yes, handball? The, the rocket handball. Yeah, and how he was a real technician of the game. Mm. I'm wondering, in a commentary sense, who, who are the technicians of commentary and what are some of those nuanced skills that are involved?
2: Yeah, so uh, I'd say McAvaney for sure. Um, McAvaney's skill, and I'd say James Brayshaw and Gary Lyon are in this as well, their skill to get the best out of their team and understand which buttons to push to make sure they get the best part of you is is really important you know McEvaney knows when to get a rise out of me and when to give me a slap um you know so does James Brayshaw they and Gary Lyon was a a a guy that did this really well as well they made they make everyone around them better because they understand the person they're working with and what makes them tick. And uh, so you've got to be with people that, that get that and uh, and get you on the right track. Does that give a clear answer or not? Is it yeah, a bit, yeah a it does. Cloudy? Mm.
1: Um, I'm just wondering about, like, uh, you know, from my very naive perspective of commentary, um, are there certain things that you say at a certain part of the games or the, the way that you express what you're describing on field um that helps it all come to life or is it just about lifting each other up so that everyone's natural sort of voice can can come to surface yeah no
2: it's just about getting the moments right and and linking them up is is an automatic thing and it just sort of happens but i guess getting the getting the right call out of each person is a is a really difficult thing because not everyone is on on the same day but I don't know. It's a, it's a difficult question to answer. I'm not yeah. sure I've given you a great answer on that, but that's all right. We'll explore it again shortly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember. Um, uh, I think it was Hamish when we had him on. He talked about um, when he was calling radio. He had to be very descriptive of where is it, who's got it, what's the score, yeah. that that type of thing. There, so there the any- three
2: Ws. That were, I mean that's something that's been taught. You know the three Ws is is what Ham is on about there, and that's right. I mean, particularly on radio, if you've got nothing to say and you're caught short of words, Mm. um, remember the three Ws: who's got it, where is it, and what's the score? And just keep repeating those because there are people tuning in and out all the time on radio, jumping in their cars, Mm. then get out of the car. All they want to know is who's got it, where is it, and what's the score. So it's a pretty simple sort of thing, and that's not as uh, applicable to TV as it is radio, but it's very much a, a radio thing and. But I think if you keep repeating those three things on radio, you, you just simply can't go wrong and mm. those basics will, will never change. But it is very it is very different on pe- on TV because people can obviously see what the score is, they can see what the time is, they mm. can see who's got it. <laughs> so, and if you're over-descriptive, they start yelling at the TV because this is what I've seen my kids do <laughs> and I do it at home when I'm wh- Shut up, you idiot! I can see that. Why are you <laughs> telling us that something that I can see? Well, that's my job. I'm a commentator. <laughs> to tell you what, so it's 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 a hard thing, and the two the difference between the two is is enormous between the incredibly descriptive radio call and the not so descriptive TV call. But maintaining the passion and the enthusiasm and the excitement in both of those is difficult, given that they require such a different journey. That's why I love the radio. I mean, I, I love TV as well because it's a real challenge. But on the radio, you you, you have to be you because there are so many words in a in a four-hour day for you that you have to fill. You simply can't fake that. Mm. You, you can't. You have to be you. Um, and that's why I love doing it. And I think that's why we love doing it in the Triple M style because it, it suits all of our personalities. The TV is a little bit more... Um, um, it's you're just not as obvious because people can see most of what you're saying. So it's just about adding a little bit of colour, a little bit of enthusiasm, a little bit of excitement. Um, people can see for themselves what it is, and the fine line between going too far and not enough is incredibly fine. It's 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 a really tightrope that you you're continually walking. Um, and the thing that I have learnt about TV, particularly over radio, is that um, you can never please everyone. MacAvoy, mm. who's we all talk about, is probably the greatest commentator in Australia ever. He's one of the best in the world. Has always said that you know Brian never worry about what people are thinking. He said I, he said I think I'm okay doing this, um, and I have about a, a forty or fifty percent approval rating for me as a commentator. So if I can only get that, then don't ex- ever expect any more than that to, uh, to approve of what you do because football is such a subjective thing. You know, it's subjective just in a family. You go home, you've got the kid who's 10, you've got the kid who's 20, you've got mum who doesn't see a lot of football, you've got dad who used to be a great player somewhere. So there are four people in the same room wanting something different out of their commentator or out of their coverage. And so it is hard to please all those four. And um, and that's why we, we don't read social media because we know we're going to get absolutely collared in every aspect of it because we can't be something to everybody. That that person in the world does not exist. <laughs> that, that commentator, no matter how – they do not exist. So if you're listening to this out there, then don't try and be everything to everybody.
0: Yeah. Um you mentioned like you've you've essentially learnt through experience, mm. right? Like you've just built up your skills over time. Yep. But is there any sort of formal training that you had to do to say, okay, I can commentate a game of footy now?
2: Yeah. I think my formal training came through the days of the community radio. Yeah. And and under the guidance of a guy like Harry Beitzel, who was equivalent to the Bruce McAvani of his time. I think that's where my 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 education yeah. came for for what I was about to do and learning off those guys and listening to guys like Rex Hunt for years and years and years and mm. and, uh, and wishing I could do it. I can remember as a kid when I was in Western Australia in a little town called Mandra playing football on the front lawn with my brother or even myself if they wouldn't play. And I loved the WA commentators and I knew them all, all pretty well, George Grulicic and all of those guys at the time, even Dennis Cometti was commentating over there then. And I would imitate those guys while I was playing the game of football on my front lawn. So when I look back now and go, gee, that was a little bit weird that I ended up <laughs> doing that job. But, um, yeah, the, edu- the education process certainly came from uh, those guys um, either sitting next to them and learning or simply listening yeah. to them on the radio. And, and I think the other thing that perhaps those older commentators didn't quite get right is the ability to adapt to the next generation of how they want it done. And I think, you know, if you look at some commentators, they didn't adapt, they didn't move on, they didn't go with the times. And I think that's something that I'm really trying hard to do. And you you ask, why would I I do social media? Why would I go on Insta at my age? Uh, Why would I talk to you guys at my age? Because I feel like I need to understand that group of people so I can broadcast to them and so I can adapt and not be I don't think I'm the same commentator today that I was when I started in the 90s I think I've had about three or four Mm. um, changes along the way in my style and I think you've got to keep adapting
1: Do, do you know what those style changes were
2: Not specifically, but I would say I went from being very straight early. That may have been a combination of uh, not having the footy vocab I talk about, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but also a change in the way you word things. Um, You know, a joke today is not – a joke of yesterday is not necessarily funny today. A particular word, um, grouse, uh, you know, for example, went through a very popular uh, time in, I think, the 80s. That is not a word you would use today. Although you know what It's come back a little bit. It has come back a little bit. And I used (laughs) I, I did a thing a couple of years ago and I thought, what old words would you guys would you young people not have heard of? You know, I used to throw rocks um, uh, <laughs> when I was a kid in Perth, and you know, Bundies. Uh, you know, bundies. could I use the word Bundies? I think <laughs> there's a different name for them over here in the east, but I, uh, Bundies, um, and that that was where Wowee came from, mm. because Wowee was not a was not a was not a wording that was new. It was old. It was mm. sort of Batman days, you know, yeah, yeah. kapow, Wowee. <laughs> it was sort of that sort of feel about it. So. Um, I would say that uh, certain old-fashioned words will work today, but, but many, many won't. So it's, it's about adapting, changing. And I guess living with four boys between the age of 21 and 32 gives me a really clear window of what they're requiring. Uh, when I watch them uh, gobble up their news or gobble up their sport on on um, on, on the current, um, what do you call them, uh, online processors, whatever they are. <laughs> Instagram I don't know. phones. In- Instagram phones, buttons. Um, no longer a radio. Online processes. Online <laughs> <love> processes.
1: That. <laughs> well, they're all that bloody confusing. Might need to work, need to work in your digital vocab. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: my digital vocab is not good. But, uh, yeah, you've got to – anyway, I don't know where
1: I'm going now, but, yeah. Have you, have you considered TikTok in, in all that?
2: No, I haven't. I've, my youngest son is a TikTok uh, fanatic and he he hangs around with the other tiktokers and i don't get tiktok
0: <laughs> you you could make one of the greatest tiktoks i reckon giving people a tour of your shed if you if yeah, you I've went done through that on that insta. Shed. So tell
2: me what the difference of of <laughs> saying righto i'm going to post this on insta and i'm going to do a tour of my tool shed today <laughs> so i do the tour on a video and then i post it on insta why would that same post not work on TikTok? What is the difference? Well, it's, about, it's
1: about the audience, Brian. Yeah, What's the eight, audience? Eight younger. Eight, yeah. It's
2: younger on TikTok. Yeah. Mm. Oh, there you go. So and you more got-
1: eyeballs.
0: Mm.
2: More eyeballs. The
0: algorithms different. It'll hit people. I don't know how it works. Millie probably knows better than I do. So do
2: I have to be um, even more basic (laughs) than I am with you guys? Do I? Pretty Uh, much.
1: Well, I've seen those videos. They're great, but they're about five or six minutes long. The TikTok is just one thirty seconds. Ah right. But how can I
2: fit my whole shed in in thirty seconds? (laughs) (laughs) You got to cut
1: it. (laughs)
2: I'll tell you what. Today uh, there is something launching over the next couple of days. It's a day in the life of me, which I've, which you know, my my kids have done for me. Uh, It only goes. um, I think it goes about. 40 seconds or something. Would that make TikTok or not? Perfect. No, I reckon. Perfect TikTok.
0: Sh- that can be your TikTok debut. Right. We'll
2: see what happens with TikTok, but yes. uh, <laughs> you guys are all too wound up in this now. Yeah. I've <laughs> <laughs> gone off track a little bit. Uh, you know, your generation is just about knackered, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you guys have got to get off this electronic shit that you're on.
0: What do we call it? Something processes? The, yeah, I forget. Online processes. <laughs> Online <laughs> <Yeah>. processes. <laughs> <laughs> um. We've talked a little bit about how you've got to roll with the times mm. and you've got to change your vocab. And you said it when we were talking earlier about how you've got to evolve. And how do you evolve? Like how do you how do you change from one week to the other, get better?
2: Uh, understanding what the audience wants, I guess, is, is a main thing. How do you get better? Uh, simply by never stopping learning. So when I go to the footy um, tonight um i am looking to improve in some way you know it, even if it's the roaming stuff i do after the game i don't feel i've nailed that and I, i'm forever thinking of ideas of how how i can make that better or I, I look back at a tape i did from the week before and i go oh jesus that looked terrible you know why don't i do it this way so there's you, you just never You're never happy with what you've done, and I think um, just improving along the way, going to the footy tonight and saying, righto, um, what is a way that I can um, make sure? Because there's always two or three players in each team that you're a little bit unsure about, both in physical appearance, you haven't seen much of their numbers, and you haven't seen much of them. So how do I make sure that I don't get... Um, the players that I don't know that well right. So I've got my my list of all of the players there that I'm looking at their numbers and their names and then I'll make another list of two or three players that I don't know and I'll handwrite that out and I'll place that at the bottom of the monitor. So three players there and the other uh, 24 players over here. So, you know, just little things like that. Words that you use all the time, I call them time-responding words. So you might say... Okay. Okay is a word to give you time to think of something else. And everyone does this when they come into the media and particularly on radio, uh, particularly on radio and a lot on TV. They use um, time words where they're looking, they're thinking about what they want to say, but they need to say a word to just so they can think of what they want to say. So it's about working out which word that is for you and eliminating it. And the way that I would do that is I would write the word on a piece of paper, stick it on the monitor in front of me t- to just remind me, do not say that word. Mm. Do not use that word today and try and get through a month of that so that I know that it doesn't become a, a natural word for me and um, little things like that. Um, process of of getting better, I would say to anyone and, it's, and it's sort of look at, a lot of the people that are commentating now, it's good to see they've followed what I, or what I have done to a certain degree, have a piece of paper in front of you with a, some sort of context in which the game is, is played as it's played. So you might have a column that has the name of the goal kicker, how many metres out, what time of the quarter it was and what the margin was at that particular time. And all of a sudden after they've kicked 20 goals, you've got, you've got a, a recorded 20 names with that information and so you can go back and say, "Well, the biggest margin of the game was 24 points at the eight-minute mark when such and such kicked that goal." Um, you've got this ready reckoner of mm-hmm. information to go back on to describe the game. If you, if uh, the director says to you, Brian, "It's um, we're coming out of the break with highlights of the first half. Take us through what happened in the first half." You've got a, a collation of of information that tells you what happened in the first half already. And are
1: you, are you writing that down with pen and paper?
2: I am writing that down, handwritten down on, on a piece wow. of paper, which I brought it in today and, and to show you. But that is, and I've done that for every game I've ever done. In fact, if I were to turn up tonight without that uh, pad that I have all preset and typed up, ready to be recorded in handwriting, I doubt that I could do the game without it because I res- rely so heavily. You'll often hear me saying, you know, that's um, Melbourne's sixth goal in a row, um, you know, starting at the six-minute mark of the second quarter and going through to the 30-minute mark of the second quarter. And how do I know that? Not through retaining information because I'm not a – I haven't got a retentive memory like perhaps Hamish McLaughlin or Bruce McElmany have. I've got it recorded in front of me. And, uh, and also the scores at quarter time with the margin in the middle – half-time, three-quarter-time, so that at any stage you can go back and say, well, they led by 24 points, at quarter-time. It's there written in front of you. I have the umpires in handwriting, which I've done all my information today, I've already done for tonight. Uh, you know, uh, Dean Margett's number, such-and-such, such-and-such, three umpires, always introduce them before the game. I think it's only fair that the umpires get introduced. Um, so, and, and also being able to refer to those umpires throughout the game, um, also having the uh, the ladder positions of each team written down in front of you, having who they play uh, in the following weeks. I actually have a sheet. Um, some of you may have seen the red and green sheet that the age print with the wins and losses. That was my sheet. They copyrighted that. You invented that. I, I invented that. <laughs> I've been doing that for 30 years, and I have the cardboard sheets with me, Wish I'd brought them today, and it, and it gives me a – rather than a – a, um, a very uh, narrow look at the game sheet I've been talking about. This gives me a look at the whole year um, mm. and I can see what's ahead and uh, I doubt I could call a game without having that at hand as well.
0: Those notes you do during the game, when are you, when are you making those notes? Are they like when they kick a goal or when you do your 40 seconds then you skip yep. to the next person? So on those TV, breaks?
2: yeah, on TV it happens. A uh, guy kicks a goal and you've got about –
0: 30, right? Two,
2: two or three seconds to wrap it up before you go to the break. Yeah. Then you go to the break. Now, that break for us, we're still on Foxtel. We're still live on Fox. Yeah. But I'm recording who kicked that goal when they did, and it's yeah. my job. I'm the next person to talk because they don't want the other commentators talking necessarily during yeah. the Foxtel ad break, right? So it's my job to fill that 30 seconds while we're away on a break, and I'm recording first, so that'll be five seconds. And then I'll say, well, it was a great goal by uh, you know this guy today. Well done. He's kicked his third goal in a row. And then uh, the director will say, 3-2-1, back on air. And yeah. then I'll leave it for the special comments guys to come in or the next commentator to come in. And that's sort of the way yeah. it works. So it's a very quick recording, but don't miss a thing. Uh, I'm mm. absolutely writing yeah. it down as I'm speaking almost.
1: Mm. I love what you said about writing down that word that you – say too often and mm. sticking it right in front of you yeah. because everyone goes yeah, through it you know yeah. <laughs> what well, like you said to that. me the other day I,
2: oh geez, I wish I knew what the word was I can't get this word out of my brain I, I use it all the time when I'm searching to find time so it's a very common thing it happens yeah. to everyone
1: yeah like I say um and ah all the time yep. I say awesome all yep. the time we're both guilty of yeah. that and we keep thinking how, like, how do we get this out like, of our system we always eyes? say awesome Like
0: <laughs> whenever someone comes in does a podcast we're like awesome so, and on the next now, I'll
2: say 100% yeah, hundred percent, man. And yeah. that's just—I don't need to say hundred <laughs> percent. Why do we do it? Yeah, so there's those words, and th- that's what I'm—that's what I'm talking about. Trying to, trying to get those words out that we don't hear them too often.
1: Yeah. Mm. Mm. So it sounds like just a matter of time, and focusing on those little granular things helps you iron yeah. out and become that smooth type of presenter.
2: Look, that's why I say don't turn up doing AFL on day one. You 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 must form a base. You must uh, form your footy vocab. You must form all sorts of ways and methods, uh, even not, even the written method that I've talked about. For, have the formulation of what works for you and best describing the game. Have some recording of that. Don't rely on the electronic stats that are on your screen because they are they are boring. Uh, you know, with the greatest respect to the stats, they they fill a very small part in our game. But don't rely on them. Make your own notes so that um, if you're ever asked to to go back in the game and uh, you you have a recording of it.
1: When you say work in your footy vocab, will you literally go home and write kick, yes. kick mark, handball, and then here's all the words I can use to describe it?
2: Absolutely I did, and I still do. So wow. I will today feel like I will go down and write 20 different ways to describe a drop-punt kick. Wow. He he, he chips it. He, he nails it. He wedges it. Um, he mongrels it. He helicopters it. 20 different ways to describe a kick, and I feel like now that the ways that I describe a kick now, um, probably I need to go back and do another, find another 20 new ways to describe the kick, and I can remember vividly going to the game with those 20 ways just written down in handwriting for me to remember. Um, You know, 20 ways to describe a handball, 20 ways to describe a mark – You know, all all these things that happen often in our game, you can't just say the same thing for everyone every time. And that's what I mean. It takes time to work out the words that are best for you in describing that particular moment in the game and then having the recall to remember them. And the way that you can remember them is definitely write them down and just concentrate on one one field per game, so it might be handballs today or it might be the way you play marks or it might be the way the ruck contest happens. It might be the way the umpire bounces the ball. How do you describe that in 10 different mm. ways? Um, so th- that's what that's what I've done and it's worked for me and I still do it. I still go, oh, there is an area of the game where I reckon I can find some new words. Mm. Yeah. It's a, it's a and I actually have other people, you know, I have a, a good mate of mine who's a very creative muso-type guy and I'll say to him, I'm always looking for words... And and he'll occasionally come to me with words. This means that Brian, because I'm remember I'm a plumber, mm. left in year eleven, not well educated at all, and I don't have a great you know education level. So he will he will explain what these words mean to me, and I'll see if they can fit what I do.
1: Mm. Yeah, I recall James Brayshaw during a game recently saying how he fans it across to the other yeah, side. Absolutely, I think he said in the fourth quarter as well. Is, yeah. It was just one thing. I kind It's beautiful,
2: it you like. know. He squirts the ball, mm. um, he wedges the ball, he chips. The, it's, it's just so many ways, you know. The the inside out slider, um, meaning banana, you know. Yeah. But we got sick of saying banana, so now now I say inside out slider. Um, you know, the, the ground-level handball, what's a way of describing that handball that deliberately goes to ground but then spins mm. so the next player can pick it up easily? Mm. You know, no-one knows about the rocket handball now. No-one knows that it's, it was called the rocket handball and it was only invented in 1980. Mm. Before that, it was a mongrel handball. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: There you go. Um, in terms of your preparation in how it relates to your the emotion that you bring to the game, because that seems something like that is very natural to you. Mm-hmm. Um, But you mentioned earlier how you had kind of this watershed moment where you took a risk, it came off, and that allowed you to be a bit more expressive. Is that something that you worked on behind the scenes or you just allowed to come out naturally?
2: Um, It's something I thought about behind the scenes. Um, I've thought, how would I describe particular moments? And then I thought in my mind, would that work? Is that too random? Is it too stupid? Is it too selfish? Am I taking away from the game? So definitely think about including these things, but you've got to remember that you are recording the moments in history for the future to look at. So you don't want to get too creative on someone's mark of the year. You just want to say, you just want to write it with them and basically just get out the name of the person that it, took the mark and hope that it's right. You don't want to destroy it, that there have, been, there have been huge marks and huge moments in the game that have been butchered um, so I guess every commentator's what they're trying to do is is to is to give that moment um, the words that it should have. So while we're being incredibly creative and expressive and and um, emotional, uh, we've also got to make sure that we're we're describing the best moments clearly. And in 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 the way in which they should in mm. in, in the way in which they deserve to be described, yeah. you know, Buddy's great run down the halfway. flank. you know you can't stuff around with that. You got to you've got to get that right because that's a yeah. moment in history that you never know when these moments are going to go on the history book. But uh, yeah,
1: so so these moments where um it was a Adam Sard who you found out was living in the coach's garage, and then you just kind of took that bit of information and <laughs> ran with the. Uh, the title of garage man for the rest of the game a lot just come naturally (laughs) um not really but a lot of these
2: stupid things like that (laughs) i get briefed before the game because um i have a producer that helps with the the roaming stuff that i do after the game Mm. and he might give me a point on six players that no one knows not necessarily about the way they're playing but about their home life or, or their family whatever and i think that was born out of that that i'd heard that this guy was living in a garage <laughs> and and I just couldn't wait to do it <laughs> after the game. I had to do it during the game. And there are some other things, can't remember them, but where I've gone, no, I can't wait to, I have to do that now. <laughs> Has to say it. And, and sometimes stuff like that, you will get um, no reaction from any other commentator because they don't get it or they think it's stupid. But you at home might be giggling about it or it might just hit a particular demographic of people that think that that is creative. Um. To me, I, just, I don't remember much about that moment, but um, I don't know why I would say someone's living in a garage. <laughs> it's a little disparaging. Um, so, yeah, that was just one of those moments, what, I guess.
0: What about, like, Arasio? Like, wh- is there any story behind that call?
2: Not really. I think I just one day just went, Arasio? <laughs> and I don't know why I would do that or Louis. yeah. <laughs> Um, there are lots of Lloyds. It only seems to happen to me with the one <laughs> Lloyd. So, but I think those things, you know, the Wowies and all these sort of things. Goodness gracious me, um, you have gotta do them and then get rid of them and don't go back there. And I think you, ha- you, you mentioned before, how do you, how do you keep evolving? And I think if you continue to use the same words about the same person every time, um, I can't remember the last time I said Arazio like that um you know you've got to move on and and find the next thing and it's really hard to find the next thing i mean jake stringer the the story behind the package was i remember i remember seeing this guy play early in his career and i thought this guy's he's just got something special he's very capable of winning a game but he's very capable of losing a game which is the sort of player i like ones that can win a game and lose a game they're the ones that are they're the X-factor players you're looking for. They're the ones that you can ride on the back of because sometimes they will they will um, set up the game beautifully for you and sometimes they won't. And the, inevitably, the commentator next to you is saying, oh, he's shit-ass, you know, he's no good. But, no, he is good. You know, I love players like that, Leon Davis. But the, the package one was a matter of I pressed the button to the director who's down in the truck underneath the car park. And, I, and the producer and I said, there's got to be – this is while the other commentator's calling, there's got to be another name for this guy. What, what do you see in him? And we started throwing other names around about him and I think – I'm trying to think of another term for package. Someone used um, another term and then someone in the background yelled out, package. I went the package, that's perfect because he he, he sometimes delivers and sometimes doesn't deliver, <laughs> and um, and so that was a that was a communal effort of the team in the truck, which we rely incredibly heavily on. Josh Kay, our our stats man down there, is the most creative guy you've ever met in your life, and um, and that's how the package came up. It was it was done through a collection of minds working within about a fifteen second period. Before I got the next call back, what are we going to call this? Everyone went to work, bang, came up with it. Yeah. And that's sort of how things... We rely very heavily on the people in the truck. Um, you know, there can be anywhere up to six different people that can speak to us in our ear, um, whether it's the director, whether it's the producer, whether it's the stats guy. Um, you know, I remember in a grand final a couple of years ago, it was the first first premiership that Richmond had won in that 30-odd-year in that period. And um, when you're getting towards the end of a game and it's a big game like the grand final, you're you're always wondering. You don't think about it at the time. You're wondering, am I going to be calling the last 10 seconds of the grand final? Because if Mm. I am, I better have a line (laughs) that best describes what the team has achieved because you know you've got about five seconds until the director says, shut up, let's hear the crowd, let's hear the emotion, let's not say anything for the next minute. Let's just enjoy the scenes that we're seeing on the oval of celebration. Mm. Um, so I remember I pressed the button when I realised I think I was calling with Bruce at the time and there was a minute to go in the game and Bruce had just started calling so if you work the numbers Bruce is probably going to call for 30 seconds it means I'm going to be doing the last 30 seconds shit I don't know what to say about the Tigers what am I going to say press the button Josh Kaye our statistician down there not a Richmond supporter either by the way <laughs> I said Josh what, 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 am I going to, what best describes what's happened to Richmond in the last 30 years and bang, I can't remember the line, what, what, what it was, but it was pertinent to the moment and it was spot on and it wasn't over the top, um, but it, it just described the moment. And um, it was something about 30 years of misery has turned to a moment of glory or something like that. And, and so you need these people supporting you. No commentator can commentate, particularly on TV, and get through a game without the help of the entire team. Even the cameraman who, who stands right next to me is the close-up cameraman, and he's within touching distance of me. I can lean over with my left arm and actually touch him. And I'll, I'll sometimes touch him and point to a number on my card saying, get shot at number 12, and he will then look for number 12, and then I will say to the director, I'm going to speak about number 12. And so he'll he'll put that to, to line, and I can speak about That's done between myself, the cameraman, and the director. Uh, and sometimes a producer to get a shot up like that. Other ways of doing it, I mean, the one thing that Dennis Cometti, the great Dennis Cometti taught me was that um, coming prepared to the game, not necessarily in the in the information that you are going to describe in the game, like perhaps Hamish or JB would, but he would come and I'd see him have meetings with the director before the game and I thought, I wonder, it's unusual that a commentator would have a meeting a chat with the director before the game. Normally you'd speak with the producer and he'd tell you this is the way it's going to go today, boys. But he would speak and he would come up with seven or eight pieces of information that he wanted to be matched with vision. So he would say, listen, um, listen, mate, you know, sometime during the game today, can you get me a shot of of um, of the bench or a, a shot of the this person in the second row or a shot of Gil McLaughlin or, or a shot of the coach? Or, or whatever it is, and he would have something he wanted to say about each of those people or things that he you know, shot at the seagull or <coughs> wanted to say something about the seagull today. And I just thought that was just absolutely great. That's professionalism at its best. Mm. That's involving yep. everyone to to make the system work for you because no good turning up. You've got all these cameras. You've got all these people working for you if you don't use them.
1: Mm. It sounds like you really got to tie everything together with yep. a lot of people involved. Yep. Um I was wondering, do you have a favourite call, whether it be a match or a particular passage?
2: Um, I don't have a very retentive memory at all. Um, So pieces of play in my game. Look, everyone keeps talking about the Boyd thing that I did on Triple M, but I only remember that because people talk about it. Um, I don't actually remember doing it.
1: (laughs) Where the the emotion just came out. Yeah, (laughs)
2: it's just the raw emotion came out. And when I realised I'd said the F-bomb... And I thought, most people that have done this on radio or TV have got the sack. Mm. And um, when I spoke to my boss on the Monday, he said, no, that's exactly the way I felt too. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) and that's okay. I'm sure if if I'd said that on TV, I wouldn't be on there. But (laughs) that's why radio is a little bit different. But I don't – you guys would be – you would remember more about what I've said than I remember what I've said, Mm. and I don't really. Yeah,
0: absolutely. My favourite one's the the out-of-bounds call. In Perth, I think it was West Coast. See, what would
2: bring someone to say, it's out of bounds, it's out of bounds, it's out of bounds, it's out of (laughs) bounds, and it's out of bounds. Who would think of saying that? That can only be emotion that (laughs) takes you to that point. And this is the exact thing I'm saying about um, having this out-of-body experience because I would never say that if I were at the footy or I was watching the TV at home. This is the outer body experience that I'm talking about. You have to let go of the possible embarrassment to achieve the possible um, good piece of calling, Mm. you know.
1: Where where do you get that energy from?
2: Um, Yeah, I don't know because some other commentators do it and some don't. I don't know where the energy comes from. I I think perhaps it's the shorter burst calling that we tend to do in this more modern era of commentating probably born out of the triple M days where we go for one passage of play or 30 seconds roughly, um, whereas in the in the, in the the days like in the 70s and 80s, they would go for two or three minutes. Each person would call for two or three minutes before they'd let the other commentator in. Now, most modern commentators call for 30 seconds or one passage and you change it over so you always feel like you're in the game. So I, I guess a lot of the energy... Is born out of that, born out of the fact that you're only doing short passages. So you can explore the depths of your emotion and mm. energy um, by doing that. So no, I enjoy that, but I always wonder at the time have I been stupid in doing it or or does it work? And you never know. You actually don't know until months later when you hear people. You know, replaying that or, 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 or doing something with it, you never quite know whether people like it. Mm. It's, not a, it's not, our game is not an instant feedback game. It's, it's yeah. a matter of waiting for days or months or weeks.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, but, see, I keep doing that. I do the um before the question. <laughs> with um, your, you, you be yourself and you're emotional and you kind of caught how you see it. And I think <clears throat> naturally that's going to bring out criticism across absolutely your, your viewers your listeners whoever it might be um my question is how resilient do you need to be to be successful in this industry because some people would hate to receive constant criticism of what they do
2: yep and i do believe me i receive my probably more than most um how do you how do you handle that you 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 asked me earlier about you know what social media platforms i operate on and i don't operate on many to tell you the truth i'm I'm, I'm on um, Instagram, which is, uh, you know, just a minor thing and a, and a little tiny bit of Twitter, but I hardly ever post on Twitter. I just, just you know, just can't stand what Twitter stands for. You know, it just stands for negativity in the world and it stands for, you know, knock, knocking people. So uh, it is, it, the way to cope with it is not get involved in it, not get involved in, in it at all. And uh, so that's that's what I've chosen to do um i know that people out there don't like the way that i call so i would say to them give me a chance or i would also say to them go to someone you do like you know go change the station if you don't like me um a- as i said before it's hard to get every- you're never going to get everyone to like you in fact it's a very low level people that like you but you just gotta you gotta be as you've got to have a really tough skin You've mm. got to be able to cope with the criticism just like you are as a player where people are yelling abuse at you over the fence and you've got to say – you've got to convince yourself that it's it's water off a duck's back and they don't really mean it. They're just caught up in the emotion of the game. Mm. Like people say that I, I barracked for this team and that game and I barracked for this – I can't give a stuff who wins. I, I see – 80 or 100 live games of footy each weekend, do you really think I barrack for anyone? You know, there could be Geelong versus Melbourne, and people say, I'm barracking for Melbourne. Why would they say I'm barracking? I don't barrack for Melbourne. I don't barrack for Collingwood or Richmond either. I have gone past that stage as a commentator where I have seen so much football that I genuinely do not care who wins the game. The person or team that I barrack for in every game of football that I call is the team that's coming second because all you want as a commentator is a close finish. So if a team's four goals behind, I'll be finding a reason why they can win. And that, that engages the listeners or the viewers to continue to watch mm. um, with that little tickle of fancy that their team can still get up. Or I just want a close game. That's the team that I barrack for. To, mm. to have criticism levelled at you by people out there saying that you barrack for this team or that team, yeah, I barrack for the team that's come second. But other than that, uh, mate, I've seen so much footy. I do not care whether Collingwood or Richmond win simply because I played for them. People have got to understand out there, just, before, just because you played for a club, it doesn't mean your, your whole life is attached to that club. I'm amazed that, you know, what is it since I played at, um, uh, how many years since 1984? Eighty four. So uh that's 30, 40 30, years. 40. 36, I say. So. Yeah. yeah. That's a long time. <clears throat> so I don't barrack for Richmond just because I played at Richmond. And I am not barrack for Collingwood just because I played for Collingwood. I have other things in my life that I barrack for. And people, supporters have a hard time forgetting that because they are, that is all they have Some mm. in some cases is footy.
1: Mm. I want to talk about um, grassroots sport. Um, we advocate heavily for <laughs> students to get out into grassroots, to volunteer, as, mm-hmm. as we reckon it's an excellent breeding ground to get experience, and also to grow your networks in the sporting circles. After you finished playing, you went on to Paran Footy Club, mm-hmm. where you captain coached there. Yep. And I was wondering if you could speak to the networks that came out of coaching that club, because there was a lot of incredible people, from what I understand there.
2: Yeah, there was, at, at Paran there. You're going to ask me to list them all off, but um, <laughs> there were uh, Mark Evans, who's the CEO of Gold Coast and, and was at Hawthorne under Clarkson, is, he, he was one there. There was a guy by the name of Rod Cutler, who was on the border between the seconds and first when I was coaching Peran in the VFA. He turned out to be the world's best hairdresser in New York, <laughs> based in New York. He, he is the hairdresser to the stars, and, and I – and, um, you know, there's there's a whole heap of others uh, that have come out of that era as well. But just to give you the story on Rod Cutler, this guy that became this world-famous hairdresser who now looks after Oprah Winfrey and, and all these <laughs> mega superstars, it was bizarre. He said, "So we arrived in New York, I rang him up and said, he said yeah, yeah, come down to Soho for a haircut. <laughs> And so I walked into Soho thinking I was, you know, going to go to Broadmeadows or something, but it was like Turak. And he had all these people. Like He said, that's your room over there. I said, what do you mean my room? I'm just here for a haircut. He said, no, you go and get changed in some nice slinky pyjamas over there and put all that on. So you go and do that and then you walk out. And he said, now, Brian, just before um, you sit down and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Condoleezza takes you for a haircut, um, I want you to meet these people that are getting a haircut at the moment. So he... He, there were about 20 people in these separate cubicles and he, he'd walk into each cubicle and I'd be, the, I'd be the Aussie there, the token Aussie, and he'd say, I want you to meet uh, Richard Butler, the former UN Weapons of Mass Destruction uh, inspector. <laughs> and I'm thinking, shit, and Richard Butler, and on his card he's got um, uh, Inspector Weapons of Mass Destruction <laughs> and his name and his email. I'm thinking... Carries a cut? Car. But this was the actual Richard Butler Who was the weapons inspector Who was the first guy To go into Iraq And inspect Whether Saddam Hussein Had uh, weapons of mass destruction <laughs> He's getting a haircut At the Soho place And then I'd go into the next In the next little cubicle And there's this guy By the name of AJ Foyt NASCAR Legend <laughs> And he'd say, Brian, this is AJ Foyt, and uh, this is Brian from Australia. And then we went around to, and then we went into this other cubicle, and there's this young girl sitting there. And I said, he said, What's, and he said, This is Lord, the singer. I've never heard of her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's from New Zealand or something, apparently. <laughs> and, and he'd say, Hello, Lord. And then you would go onto the next one, and into the next one, and it was, um, uh, what's that lady's name, the um, singer? Uh, uh, Gloria Estefan is in, in uh, this is Gloria Estefan, <laughs> Brian. And i go, oh, okay, OK, who's Gloria Estefan? And, <laughs> Apparently, she's some world-famous singer or something, and and I met about 10 people, all of whom were somebody that I should have known, and that was – and then you sit down and have your hair cut. You're happy not to have your hair cut in the end because you've just met all these people, but – and then he said to me, I want you to come to this – it's it's my wife's – I think it was her 40th or 50th, I can't remember now – um it's the society party of all societies tonight in new york and i'm over there with my family i've got my sister a couple of my nephews i've got my wife we've got no clothes and we're going to this party and he's invited us and we can't say no and so the limo rolls up out the front of our hotel, my wife had to go and buy some boots and some stockings and crap and and coats because it was snowing on this particular night, and we pull up at this private party at this incredible bloody mansion, and the security guard, he, he just says, come in, know who you are, blah, 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 <laughs> and we arrive, and we go up to this private floor on the top up there, and we're all welcomed, and then the speeches start, and because I'm the only Aussie in the crowd, he, and all he's worried about is the Aussies, he's got the, he's got the CEO of the Bank of the world up there with him and <laughs> A.J. Foyt and <laughs> Gloria Estefan's over there and, you know, Lord's over here and she's, you know, and, and they're all there and the whole speech that he gave on behalf of his wife was about me <laughs> being there and I think, he's saying, yeah, look it up on YouTube and you'll see Brian and he didn't really speak about his wife and this was incredibly embarrassing. Anyway, end of the night, they had really bad wine there too, and um, but at the, at, the, at the end of the night he said, would you like to come up to the private party? I thought. Jesus, this was private enough But now we're going up to the private party Anyway, my wife and myself and my sister And up we go and we sat on this velvet couch up there And I, they were all starting to arrive at the private party I'm not supposed to tell this because she doesn't like it, does she? Um, my wife doesn't like this Because it's the first time she's ever done it The only time she's ever done it Anyway, I looked over at her on the velvet couch And I could see her holding and cupping her hand under her mouth oh. I thought, what's happened? What's happened? And I had a little look, and there's a little bit of a bit of a chunder there. <laughs> and uh, I'm looking at her, and she's going, looking at me, and she's more or less with her eyes saying, "What do I do with this?" <laughs> and uh, then I saw her just put it between the velvet couch cushions. <laughs> and <laughs> the the hairdresser, Rod Cutler, had seen this happen, oh. and he then said, <clears throat> "I think it's time for you two to go." <laughs> <laughs> so off we went. But uh, my poor wife—it's the only time she's ever acted uh, like that. She's a very classy lady normally. Mm. So, wow. So that was—that
1: <laughs> so was, that was, yeah, some some people we met. So the uh, the Paran Paran F- F- the Paran Football Club is a place to volunteer. It sounds like I that. was trying to
2: think <laughs> who else was down there. Um, there uh, there are there are uh, top notch group of people that came out of that particular group and I'm trying to trying to think who they were, I can't think at the moment, but there are about at least 10 or 15 that have gone on to equivalent jobs to be CEOs of major companies yeah. or of football clubs and uh, done extremely well out of that group
1: yeah, mm. yeah. Nice. Mm. that's quite the story, I love that <laughs> that's
2: not
0: really
1: a on your sort of oh, that's right. adds, a, adds a new dimension to the show <laughs> absolutely <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: last castle. I said, I did it again. Yeah,
2: um. Um. So you need time. to write that down. Hang no, on the um, top of your I computer. need um right here. Yeah, do not say um.
0: I will not say um. Um. <laughs> Any last pieces of advice for people wanting to be the next BT?
2: Um Well, I'd say don't be the next me, be the next you. That is the most important bit of advice. Don't try and be someone else in the media because that never works. I've I've heard it and I've heard it very recently with young guys coming in. And I said it at the start. You've got to find a way to be you. You've got to use your words that best describe those moments. And the second thing I I would say is, do an apprenticeship. Don't expect to arrive at the elite level. I mean, this is the elite level. Broadcasting AFL football is the elite level. Don't let that be your first job, or you are in a real. You have a real chance of destroying your career before it even takes off. Because people are forming an opinion of whether you're going to be part of their network from the moment you start. So make sure you are ready to go when you do. And, and the other thing is, if, if you are coming from a non-playing background and you, you have got to football some other way through statistics or whatever it is, is you must follow the path of McAvaney or, or Hamish McLaughlin, and that is be absolutely prepared to, to to be able to fill the void of not having been a top-notch player uh, you've got to do it differently and uh, research is is really important I think it's probably probably the number one thing I mean if, to give you an idea as a player commentating I probably have about four or five things written down of each team that I want to get out so it's not a lot of information but but given that I've got couple of special comments guys there down the ground person and another commentator you only each only need probably that many things for the night so from a player point of view you probably don't need as much if you've got the emotion and don't be afraid to explore beyond beyond your natural personality um get that out of body experience by being a little devilish and a little looking for a new way of doing things to to Explore and and exploit the emotion that is in our game because our game is highly emotional, and therefore you can, you can be that as well because that is what the game is. Um, but also having the moments to uh, where it's not emotional and it's pretty mundane. You know, I think the hardest thing for a commentator, uh, and where I can judge a really good commentator, is when a when a team's fifty points down. And there's 20 minutes to go in the game, or a quarter to go in the game. And you know they're not going to win, but you've got to give them a reason to win. You've got mm. to you've got to give people sitting in their couches a reason why their team that's down by 50 can still win. I Do remember the day that we were calling for Channel Nine. Channel Nine had the footy for five or six years, and I think did it really well. And I remember I think it was I think it was Gary Lyon, can't remember now. He got on the TV at halftime. They do the halftime wrap to camera, and Gaz said, "Well, um, you know, Geelong are down by 63 points here, and halftime the game's over." And within seconds, the red phone in the truck downstairs rang, which Kerry Packer, you know, he was the only one that rang it. You tell that guy that, uh, you know, he's just told my viewers to go and do something else because they can't win the game. You know, tell him that if he ever does that again, he's in trouble. So it's, uh, it's it's something I've always remembered, always, no matter how far the team is down, give the listeners that support that team some hope. Uh, might not be getting up in the game, but it might be something well they're doing for the future. Mm. Love Mm. that. Mm.
1: Um, Last question. Yep. Why do you
2: do what you do? Um, Because I love it and because I was a trained plumber and I don't want to dig holes for the rest (laughs) of my life is the reason I got into it and the reason I'm still here is because I genuinely have a passion for football and I have a passion And a thirst, an insatiable thirst to get it right. And I still haven't got it right, and I'm hoping that one day I will get it right. Um, I'm still looking for the perfect game. And, uh, you know, I I just love good quality football. I mean, imagine going to the footy every weekend for your job. It is the best job in the world. The, the thing you do miss here, your kids playing their own sport on the weekend, haven't seen any of that for 30 years. Could have caught my mark at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So that's why I didn't see your mark. But, uh, yeah, no, it's 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 a great job. There's there's no better job. You know, you get paid to go and watch a game of sport is unbelievable and then there's all the little trinkets around the side that if you get very, very good at it that you, uh, you're able to to get a hold of as well. So it's, it's a worthwhile enterprise. But at the same time, it's it's bloody because you are you are voicing the game to thousands millions of people coming up to the finals, and to try and make as many of those happy as you possibly can is a, is a great challenge, and I think that's why we do
0: it. Awesome. Well, BT, thank you so much for coming in. We are, yeah, pinching ourselves when we sat down this morning and uh, and had you in the studio, but I guess. Everything you've mentioned, there's little lessons on the way that our listeners can take and mm. um, take forward to be- better themselves, and hopefully find their place in sport eventually. But um, thank you so much for sharing yeah. all the stories. Don't be scared made. to
2: knock on the door if you're if you're this way inclined. And you want to do this job, you'd be surprised how easy it is to get in the door. You just got to keep knocking on it. Um, it really is. There are not many people doing what we do, so there's there's a lot of opportunity, especially with this new broadcast. right rights a lot of opportunity out for there for people to be involved in the in the commentary of footy awesome thanks again thanks a lot
0: boy oh boy wowie rubes
1: (laughs) couldn't help yourself (laughs) no i couldn't help myself that was brilliant um wow what a man i know i know incredible just and and very generous with his time as well like we had a great chat after the recording too so um. yeah, what a great honour just to be able to learn from the, the great man. But um, yeah. one thing that I took away from Brian is take your time to do your apprenticeship in whatever field you're trying to get into. So some people might look at Brian and think, oh, he's a former AFL player. He's just mm-hmm. got into commentating like that. Well, that's not the case. He had to do, like, five years of real grassroots commentating and practice because he wasn't a superstar. So he had to actually be a good commentator. And so he did the hard yards for a long, long time to get to where he is is now. So I think one thing to take away from Brian is do your time, do your apprenticeship, learn lots along the way, but be patient at the same time.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I loved how he he sort of spoke about, you know, take the time to be you and don't try and be what someone else is doing. And he he mentioned how he, he got that bit of encouragement when he was at Fox and said, that's a really great call, BT. Like, keep going with it. And that kind of gave him... I guess the confidence to go and be more emotional commentating and say the things that he actually thought come out of his shell a little bit and I guess he kind of saw that as you know that's why I'm good at what I'm doing because I'm emotional I'm not just mm. looking at the facts and the data and all that kind of thing I'm just calling it as I see it so some tips for those people out there wanting want to do it is just try and find who you are when, you, when you're calling and, and say it how you see it you don't need to be how everyone thinks you should be.
1: I also loved how he mentioned how his uh, confidence fluctuates at times too. I think that it made mm. him very relatable because he does look like someone who's just full of life and confidence all the time.
0: 100%. You you would never expect BT to be low on
1: confidence. No. You know,
0: when, you, when you're tuning in, you just wouldn't know. So mm. really insightful.
1: Yeah. And then finally, I think one thing to take away from BT is think about what does your preparation look like? For someone like BT – if he doesn't want to say a filler word, he's going to stick it to the top of his laptop and look at yeah. that word and make sure he does not say it. For someone like Bruce McAvaney, he's doing an intense amount of research to make, so, mm-hmm. make sure he's got all the facts and figures. So I think this kind of plays into what kind of commentator or what kind of person or what kind of profession do you want to be in and what yeah. does good preparation look like to you?
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Um, in regards to commentary or
1: sports media, are there any other podcasts that we can recommend? Yeah, well, we mentioned Hamish McLaughlin a few times. He is one of the best episodes we've also had on this yep. show. So episode 124, uh, people can find that. And also Simon Hill, mm. who appeared in episode, I think, 165, he came in. Um, so another few media, media personalities there. Kath Loughnan as well, yeah. another one, twenty eight way back episode yeah. 28 so there's a few there there's
0: a bit of a a nice little commentary team happening there mm. on our podcast so great insights from uh from four absolute guns so mm. it's awesome all righty we well, connect with us on linkedin plus be sure to jump into the sports community we would love to see you on there head to www.sportsgrad.com.au slash community to join or head to the link in our show notes also if you love the show and you just loved brian just then We would love for you to rate the show five stars wherever you listen to your podcast. Subscribe on Apple or follow on Spotify. Thanks for listening. See you next time.